0: Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. This is episode 172. My name is Tom Horrocks and today we'll continue our fireside chat series with a special guest to talk about the upcoming Formula One season. Joining us today we have Jake Boxerleg from Autosport to talk us through some of the more technical elements of the new regulations. Hi Jake, thanks for
1: coming on. Thanks for having me. i looking forward to it. It's been an interesting testing season so I'm sure we'll have lots to, lots to talk about. Yeah, and we might even be allowed to call it testing by the end of this. You never know.
0: (laughs) For those of you who don't know who this person is, who's on the other end of my Zoom call, who are you and what is it that you do?
1: So I'm Jake, as you have so kindly uh, introduced me as. Uh, so I'm the technical editor at Autosports. I'm covering all kinds of technical things that, you know, that happen in Formula One and sometimes in, in other championships as well. Also this year I'm covering uh, Formula E as the on the ground reporter as well. So I'm sort of all over lots of different different parts of motorsport. So I've, I have a lot on my plate, but it's always always really good fun yeah it's, it's not fun trying to cover more than one motorsport i've tried that before and it's, it's quite
0: difficult but i uh, can't wait to get into that if you just make sure you subscribe to us on on youtube by clicking the bell and you'll be notified whenever we go live and don't forget to give give us a thumbs up as well if you enjoy our show please leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or on spotify now you can do that as well as it really helps us climb the charts but uh, speaking of climbing the charts everyone is expecting to be a lot better this year with the new regulations so uh getting straight into it what is it that, that you Think is the is the biggest change this year, and what is it that makes you most most excited slash um, worried about the uh, the upcoming season?
1: I think it's the fact that everybody has had to come up with something completely different for these new twenty twenty two regulations. Um, obviously, it's a huge change in terms of the aerodynamics. The way that everything worked before doesn't really transfer to what they do now, and it's just interesting to see how every single team has adapted to this clean sheet design if you like nothing that they could use from last year can be carried over you'd seen the cars from the last few years sort of be evolutions of each other have the same kind of style that's all changed now and i think one of the biggest things that is visible on the new cars is perhaps how the front end looks now attaching to the front wing uh these the the huge variation in side pod designs for example as well as for things that make me worried is it going to be the this silver bullet for the overtaking that we want some one of the things we saw in testing or the shakedown as f1 officially wants to call it been the porpoising of the cars on the straights which i'm sure we'll get into a little bit later as well uh which sort of makes me a little bit worried as well uh for the drivers in particular i'm quietly confident that we'll see some some really good races with these cars i mean for the most part, I think they look absolutely spectacular. They look aggressive. They look like Formula One cars and they sort of have that hint of almost the late 80s, early 90s in them, which I, I really, really like. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they actually you know, race when it comes to the first race in Bahrain. Yeah, I'm quite excited about the looks of the cars and seeing the times that have been coming
0: through in practice. And, and I know it's it's a bit early to talk about times and everything, but uh, it seems like it's going to be both sexy and fast this year. I was a bit worried we were going to have like 10-second laps slower cars, but uh, it's certainly not proved the case at all as we've only been a couple of seconds off Barcelona times from last season, which was really great to see. But uh, obviously you you were in Barcelona. What was that like being... I mean, obviously I know you've done it before, but what was that like being there for the, for the launch of this
1: entirely new formula there was this very sort of tangible key and sense of anticipation in the media room uh everyone was really looking forward to seeing how these cars did we were all waiting to see who the first car to to come out was and i can't even remember who it was at this point i think it might have been a mercedes um, i think it was i think it was lando because oh a bit it of might a, have been a
0: mclaren actually yeah, bit of a fanboy so uh yeah <laughs> i was looking out for that
1: <laughs> so yeah it was it was really interesting to see these cars finally hit the road and see what they do and kind of understand them as they went around the the track yeah it was a it was a really good feeling to sort of be be there for the sort of dawn of these these new cars as well i mean obviously having uh, you know i've done the i think the last test i did was 2020 i couldn't really do 2021 because of uh some small global events there it had a different feeling to that because that sort of felt like a continuation of whatever 2019 brought yeah this feels completely new and everyone was sort of falling over themselves to see who was good who wasn't good naturally obviously we have no idea still don't think we'll know until we get to Bahrain but yeah there was just sort of like that very keen sense of anticipation from everybody I think
0: yeah and it's great that obviously you get to, to witness that firsthand. it's just a shame that there was there was no fans there to, to witness it with you I know it's not exactly ever a sellout Barcelona but uh, especially testing but uh, given everything that we We've we've seen last season and and the the trajectory that Formwood ones on. I think it potentially could have been a pretty decent selling test. What was what's your opinion on that? I mean, what what were the reasons as to why it was behind closed doors? There's lots of rumours about money and 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 you know teams not wanting to be embarrassed. But what what's your take on it? I'm sort of split, to be honest with you.
1: You know, as, as somebody who works at F1 sort of tangentially, I would never say testing is a particularly fantastic spectacle. It's just cars going around, around endlessly. But I, I kind of also get, you know, why you would want to be there. And every year that we go, usually there's lots of fans that have turned up, especially for the event. And there were still fans that have turned up to hang outside the gates, which, you know, I admire that level of sort of that dedication. At the same time yeah it was at the end of the day it was probably money byron offered a lot of money to host the official test and this was essentially just a shakedown i think formula one kind of thought that it would be like the tests of old where it's all behind closed doors and teams could just spend a lot of time troubleshooting and that kind of thing but at the same time you know I, I think they were also worried that things wouldn't work out straight out of the box and and they did uh i mean the internals of the car they're not too far removed from what we have now so i don't think that should have ever been a worry but yeah i think they were just sort of worried that we'd fans would be sat in the grandstands waiting for one of the 10 cars to pop out and not doing so but that didn't prove to be the case anyway hmm. I mean you talk about
0: the internals of the car being the same, there is, there is one thing that, that has changed which is the thing that's that powering them, the uh, the E10 fuel, I don't know if this kind of fits within your, your remit or your or your understanding but it's something that I've not quite got my head around about what the difference is with this year's fuel to last year's, what, what for you is, is the difference and, and how does it affect the cars
1: So what you've got now in the new fuel is it's E10 then the 10 stands for 10% bioethanol. So obviously it's a step towards uh, e-fuels and more sustainable fuels for the future. One of Formula One's sort of big, I guess, problems over the next 10 years is deciding you know, what it wants to be, how it wants to be, how it wants to be propelled. Because obviously worldwide, you have a lot of countries saying that they want to stop the sale of, of internal combustion engine powered cars, that sort of thing. And so formula is looking for alternatives and it's do you go to a full electric formula do you sort of go with an electric power chain but have uh, a hydrogen fuel cell powering it or are you going to invest in synthetic and drop-in fuels that still work with internal combustion engine but you know produce so many emissions and don't you know create so many emissions in trying to produce them so it's sort of part of that sort of shift and I think you know when we move into 2026, if it's not, you know, all bioethanol or something like that, or all sustainable fuels, um I think Formula One would have missed a trick, but I think that's what they're they're shooting for going into the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yes.
0: It's certainly visually, I know obviously the, the amount of fuel that we use getting the circus on the road is you know it absolutely dwarfs what we actually use for the races themselves but certainly politically it would look a lot better for formula one if they were if they were using fuels that are a lot more economical even if it if it helps with the uh, development of those fuels for for other cars because even if we stop selling internal combustion engine cars it's uh we people are still gonna uh, you know they're still gonna own their their old bangers and i know my my dad's got a jaggy type that he's never going to get rid of and you know what are you going to do with cars like that you need something that's going to place that fuel and without killing the planet as well so definitely a a good thing for Formula 1 to be pushing towards back to you know the cars going fast which is what we uh, we we care about obviously the 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 lap times and we don't really look at the lap times but they're not too far removed from from last year but uh, what's your opinion on how it's going to affect them at different circuits obviously Barcelona very very specific type of circuit which is very different to Bahrain and then Monaco and Monza how do you think
1: the cars are going to react differently on those other circuits? I think one of the things that we saw, particularly in the first sector at Bahrain, when you look at turn three, it's quite a sort of fast sweeping corner. Mm. and The cars are going to be absolutely spectacular around those corners because these new Venturi tunnels that they have uh, on the underfloor, they produce so much downforce and they're just sucking the car to the road. And it just means they can go so much quicker around these corners. And so in circuits like that, circuits like Monza, maybe even circuits like Zandvoort and a, a few others, they're going to look so, so good my worry is with this circuits like uh monaco and hungary where everything's a lot slower so these venturi tunnels don't have as much top speed to work and so they're not producing anywhere near the amount of downforce and so it's going to be a worry that it's going to look a little bit glacial from that perspective anyway but around barcelona yeah in that first sector and in perhaps around turn nine as well they did look pretty spectacular i didn't see too much of the on-track action because i was uh, helping coordinate the autosport live efforts because uh, obviously nobody really had much of a way of watching testing. So it was kind of up to us to, to to show what kind of the times were and who was doing what and that kind of thing. As you say, the times aren't too far removed, you know, we're probably a couple seconds down, but at the same time, the cars weren't really pushing either. Um, Nobody was really absolutely going for it. We ended up in the 118s by the end, you know, it's about two and a half, three seconds off the ultimate lap time. the, The teams were doing last year on The absolute sauce but again they're not really pushing so the time deficit isn't too much and with development it will only you know the the deficit will only shrink
0: yeah i mean i i'm not convinced they were pushing at all given that like the, the times they were putting straight out of the block and then three days later and they weren't going that much quicker, so I, I can't see that that, they're, that they were really going full beans at all. It's it's, it's more kind of systems checks and uh, and you know un- understanding as opposed to you know chasing chasing times and everything like that. They're going to be more focused on that in Bahrain as that's where we actually start the season. But uh, if we actually go on talking about cars themselves now, we'll just kind of work through them in uh, in in championship order. I think starting with the Mercedes. I mean, it's silver. We've <laughs> noticed that. I'm I'm kind of torn on that one and I really like the black, but also it's nice to see the silver return. Colour aside, what's your
1: opening thoughts about the uh, the Mercedes car itself? Well, I think, first of all, the thoughts of other people seem to be that it looks really simple and I don't entirely see that. I think it's just a sort of the baseline car when it comes to testing, and we're expecting them to bring quite a few more updates for, for Bahrain. Whether it'll be like a Spain 2019 situation where they turned mm. up with a very visibly different car from from one day to the next, I, I'm not entirely sure. But it, it what it crucially had, especially over last year, when you look at Bahrain testing, for example, there was a very, very long period of time where the Mercedes were spend, spending their time you know, in the garage trying to work on things because it was not particularly reliable. What they've got this year is reliability out of the box and on the final day for example lewis hamilton was just clocking in lap after lap on the sort of wet drying track when they'd wetted the track for uh for wet weather testing it just looks it looks reliable and it looks strong and and i guess that's everything we kind of expect from mercedes and yeah i think aerodynamically we'll see some updates and we'll see the car become a little bit more complex but what it does have, it's got some sort of really sort of interesting little design uh, solutions to the new cars. It looks like a very very strong contender. So yeah, I think I'm sort of quietly impressed with what they've been able to do. I think we'll definitely see more from them in the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I think if if I think we've learned one thing since 2014 about Mercedes is they know how to test. They know how to put a testing program together. They've never once really looked like. I think one year they looked slightly on the back foot, and that was when Ferrari just came out and as an absolute rocket ship. But even so, you, you still had this. You still had this belief that they were they were going to catch up. Even last year, they, they you still had this belief there that they're not just going to design a bad car, are they? But uh, yeah, I think probably a, a, a almost a B spec car will be will be following in the in the. The first official test, definitely. But Red Bull—they seem to have completely changed their car from the, the pictures they launched within the two weeks later to then to the, to the testing. Totally different car design. I've not seen much of this myself. I've not seen a lot of pictures on track. But the first thing I noticed was the hugely aggressive side pods that uh, just seemed like you could put your dinner on those things. <laughs> what stood out for you with the Red Bull?
1: Well, first of all, I'll say that I was quite furious about that look <laughs> because. Uh, to promise an rb18 and then basically just paint the f1 show car and you go here it is yeah. it's, it's kind of it's very very cheeky and I, I wasn't a massive fan of that but then when we de- did see the car yeah as you say the side pods were, were hugely aggressive there was this massive undercut uh, around the sort of front inlet if you like and this just is all part of the solution on how to get this new floor design to work best and everybody's doing a lot of weird and crazy things with their side pods to move the cooling around create the sort of space underneath the floor to you know try and derive more downforce and, and that's just one of their solutions and you know if you look sort of further back you can see the side pods are sort of quite flat-sided obviously packaging is very very crucial in this in this area it is an interesting car you can see that they've concentrated a lot more of their cooling towards the sort of uh the center line of the car and using the overhead intake to to, to produce that cooling effect so they can drink the side pods more. Everything else sort of looked in its place. You know, there wasn't, uh, other than that, there probably wasn't too much to say about it. I think, again, like Mercedes, they'll bring more things to to Bahrain. So it'll be interesting to see how that car develops and how that uh, sort of metamorphosizes over the coming weeks again, because these two teams, we expect them to be in the hunt for the championship. I don't think that we'll suddenly see this drop off, even with the new the new cars.
0: Yeah, I was I was uh, I wasn't surprised that Red Bull put out such a, a pitiful attempt at saying it was a launch it was a bit of it might have been a bit of an insult to the intelligence of the uh, of the uh, <laughs> viewers to say yes this is our car when, when clearly it wasn't and for such a rapid redesign in two weeks just yeah a bit of a bit of a kick in the teeth to the hardcore fans i think but um but yeah it's uh i was uh, i don't know how you feel about this but my opinion of robot i actually predicted them to finish third or fourth in the championship this year because of my opinion they always tend to start slowly and and they, it just seemed like they were putting much more into the last season than Mercedes were. And Mercedes were, you know, given that they put hardly any updates into their previous year's car, into their 2021 car, because the 2020 car was so strong. And then to switch off development so early to this car, they surely they must have absolutely mastered the regulations because a team like Mercedes spending that much time on a car, surely they're going to have an absolute world beater. So yes, yeah, so I I just fully expect the the Mercedes the Mercedes to uh, to have brought an absolute world beater to the to the season this year but uh, it seems like Red Bull and Ferrari and McLaren indeed do seem to be a lot closer than than I was expecting anyway but you know what do I know I'm <laughs> I'm not exactly an expert in the field but uh, one thing that I I did I looks like I did predict right is that Ferrari would their trajectory would continue and they do seem to be on to a a bit of a winner at the moment what's what's your opinion on on Ferrari it seems to be very very different to everything else that's come out
1: in terms of aesthetics I really really like it I think it mm. It looks like a 90s Ferrari. It looks mm. there's so many sort of like little design elements that just look fantastic, and the livery as well. the The black wings, for example, again 90s. It's fantastic. I really, really like it. The striking thing is these massive side pods with the big divot in the in the top, and that's a solution that we've not really seen. That uh, probably we weren't really expecting. And again, this is the situation of how they're packaging their their cooling solutions. And we saw, this was particularly with Alpine last year, that big engine cover because they were concentrating all the cooling elements in the center. And we've seen teams like in Red Bull and, and Williams as well do, do that so they can shrink the side pods. Ferrari's gone completely the other direction. They've gone for these big side pods with a very, very small overhead cooling inlet or and intake in so that they can focus their cooling on the side pods. And so you've got these massive fins or gills or whatever you want to call them in the bodywork. And so they can make the very rear end very, very tight. And so they can open up uh, all of the bodywork at the rear. So there's some really interesting elements at play with this Ferrari. And the the front end is really interesting as well. Um, If you look at the nose cone, for example, Mm the very very front part of that the tip the the wing attaches to that's completely interchangeable as well it's like a modular design so they focused all the crash tests on the bit that attaches to the chassis and then the very very tip of that they can swap it out and change it if they they need to uh, relatively quickly rather than you know having to lug a big bunch of wings around uh every, every race weekend so yeah, it's it's a really, really interesting design and it's gone really well. It's the the car that produced the most laps in testing as well. Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz looked, you know, metronomic out there, just putting mileage on the car and it's it seems to be in working order. We don't know, and the drivers have said that they don't know how good it is at this point, but it must be quite good because uh it's it's relatively consistent and, and that's what the drivers need.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, there's certain elements of, of the car that that reminded me of the uh, of the sort of the 2010 11 time ish McLaren where they had the the L shaped side pods there, but that was sort of a sl- slightly different design there. But very uh, kind of the last time I remember seeing side quite so quite so sculpted to to fit the car. And yeah, with the the driver lineup. Definitely two incredibly strong drivers. The car looks strong. It looks like it's going to be a good season for Ferrari. But, uh, you know, they, they have won the uh, the testing championship on numerous <laughs> occasions. And as yet, in the last uh, decade and a half, they haven't won a championship. So th- let's wait and see. Hopefully it's uh, brighter brighter times ahead for, for Ferrari. But uh, moving on to McLaren. The most common thing I'm hearing about this car is the whole push rods in the front and and uh, sorry pull rod in the front, push rod in the rear. I have absolutely no idea what that means. I mean, obviously I know what it physically means, but what that means for the car itself, I have no idea. But I mean, is it all about the suspension for the McLaren, or is there any other much more subtle things that we should be looking at?
1: I think the suspension is is a bit of a small thing, really. When you consider suspension packages today, everything works pretty much very very similar from one car to the other it's just about how you package it from an aerodynamic standpoint and going for the push rod at the rear what this means is you've got the attachment point to the wheels at the very bottom and then you're creating your tracking through the push rod and then that rocker is being mounted to the the top of the gearbox to then interact with the the shocks and dampers uh, or the springs and dampers rather so it's just a way of packaging it. And by moving the rockers to the top, you've got more floor space available that you don't have to sort of create a bulge for or anything like that. So you can open up more of the floor. And the the pull rod at the front is something a lot of teams have experimented with over the last few years. Uh, everybody eventually always shifts back to push rods. But I think the sort of demands of the new cars mean that it's not as, as cut and dried. You know, obviously it will provide some kind of vehicle dynamic or, uh, you know, difference compared to a push rod. But I think largely in terms of packaging, it is an aerodynamic one again. And it's just being able to sort of put all of the suspension members in a sort of much tighter space so that, you know, you can open things out or direct things to to go the way you want them with regards to airflow. So it's probably an aerodynamic decision rather than a, a, a kinematic decision. But it'll be interesting to see how it works out for them. Uh, certainly. I think there's still a few more sort of interesting elements on on the McLaren as well. Uh I know that the paint job has been divisive. I really like it, but I know that there are a lot of people who don't. And again, we've seen this trajectory from, from, from Lando Norris as well, just getting better and better with each season. Now that Daniel Ricciardo's had a season with McLaren to assimilate himself within the team, you know it should be a much stronger year in theory for them if they've got the design right. Yeah, I think the um, the paint
0: job response from you was was the correct answer. Uh, it's, I think it's uh, it's the uh, the second best looking car on the grid. We've already covered the the best looking car on the grid, and it pains me to say the Ferrari is the best looking car on the grid, but it, but I genuinely think it is. Yeah, no, it's, and Lando as well, amazing trajectory. I just really hope this year's works out better for uh, for Ricardo because he he really needs a strong season this year. And talk about again, cars that looked great last year's potentially best looking car on the grid, Alpine. In my opinion, which again is divisive, is now the worst-looking car on the grid. Uh, I just cannot get on with that paint scheme. Paint aside, uh, <laughs> what,
1: what about the Alpine? What's what struck you from that? Not a massive amount, to be honest with you. Uh, I've n- not seen a lot from it in the you know in the first couple of days it looked pretty solid on track. And then on the final day, uh, Fernando Alonso did 12 laps and then the car just gave up on him and it was very, very smoky at the back of that Alpine. I think one of the key things about it is that Renault has produced an entirely new power unit for this one. You know, they focused on getting as much performance out of it as they can, and then they'll focus on reliability and then reliability did look good in the first couple of days. And now I'm not entirely sure whether you know, Alonso's, uh, problem that ended their day of running on fr- on the friday puts them in terms of reliability but it does look relatively quick you'll see with their sort of like side pod solution for example they've gone sort of more of a halfway house if you like they've got the sort of ramped elements that's bringing more airflow down towards the rear everything looks relatively conventional whether it's the car that or. Will- bring Fernando Alonso a win again that so after many, many years, we'll have to wait and see. But I think it probably end up being on balance a little bit more of the same from them, uh, fighting in the midfield, that kind of thing. They'll want to be more consistent because that was one of the big problems they had last year with was with consistency. Either they were you know, in the points and Ocon was getting a win or, you know, their P11, P12. So they need to sort of find a happy medium there and sort of uh damp their results out a
0: little bit yeah well, Bottas is going to be a bit further back so he's not going to be able to give uh, gift them a win this time he's going to be taken out the back of the field instead of the front of the field this time but uh, <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's one of those cars I just not really see an awful lot of obviously it's not been on track a lot either I heard people saying that it was it was audibly much quieter than the other cars but that might have just been the uh the Renault power unit but we've obviously got nothing to compare it with I heard rumors towards the end of last year and the start you know a bit on the run into this year that that Alpine were the team that had found that that golden bullet to, to propel them up the order, and uh, I was kind of expecting to see Fernando Alonso coming out, swinging and, and absolutely loving life, but that just hasn't transpired at all yet. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that they they uh, they certainly do have a uh, a bit more of a consistent season and and can fight up there with with the big boys. But honestly, I just I just have no faith in the Renault organisation and their ability to put <laughs> put a winning program together anymore. It's just it just seems to Top heavy in politics and too many people, uh, too many cooks, spoiling the broth personally for me. But again, what, what do I know? Absolutely nothing. But uh, another car that I think is absolutely beautiful looking car, but I've, again, I've not seen a lot from It's the Alpha Tauri, but it's uh, obviously the sister car to the Red Bull. It's got very different philosophies all across the car to the Red Bull this year, which has surprised me.
1: Yeah, I think there's sort of like some similarities but with regards to suspension and things like that they've gone in very much the same way as they did last year and as you know we take out from Red Bull takes rebel suspension but you know they, they've continued to persist with the direction of last year with regards to the car itself there's sort of red bull influences in the side pods but perhaps not as extreme look at the, f- the front wing on the alfa is quite you know compared to the other teams a little bit more extreme than perhaps others Uh, interesting to see how they're directing airflow out and that kind of thing but the car has been really quite reliable and yeah gasly's done a lot of running yuki Sonoda did a lot of running on the first day unfortunately Sonoda couldn't do any laps on friday because gasly crashed at turn five and they weren't able to get the car sort of ready and up and running again which is a bit of a shame would have put a bit of a dent in their testing program but i think Again, this is a team that does uh, quite a lot with a little. They've really streamlined their organization in the last couple of years. You know, They've, they've gone, why why are we building suspension components and gearboxes and that kind of thing when we can just buy them in from up the road and free up our resources for other things, which I think is a really, really smart way of, of going about battling in the midfield because since they started moving on towards that program, we've seen them really sort of, cement themselves as a midfield force and they were very very nearly in with the shout of of getting fifth overall last season so they're just very very sensible with the way that they do things there and, and we know how good Pierre Gasly is he's really picked up from the sort of rebel disappointment and he just delivers week in week out and I think with regards to Yuki Tsunoda we've certainly not seen the best of what he can do uh I, I do rate him personally I think he's he can be fantastic it's just getting him to realise that, but at the same time, not over-inflating his ego, which was, I think, the problem at the start of last year, where he thought, oh, this is easy, I can do it. And then when the hard times hit, he was like, I don't know what to do now, and his confidence just dropped. So it's up to them to sort of keep him on an even keel and just, you know, hungry and, and fight for, for for points and things like that yeah it's
0: very much feast or famine for the for the Alpha AlphaTauri team they're they very much a, a dark horse uh, not say for the championship but very much uh, an unknown quantity coming into this year and uh, the whole philosophy of of buying everything in from Red Bull was very much opposite what James Key was trying to put together trying to, he I think he was just worried that Red Bull were going to pull out at a moment's notice and he wanted to, the team to continue but uh, obviously you know what they were looking to do long term didn't really fit him with what he wanted which is why eventually he jumped ship to McLaren but uh, I Another car that, uh, that, for me, that the, the first car that came out that we saw properly, the Aston Martin, never for me has a car aged so quickly. I, I when I first saw it, I thought, "Wow, if this is what Formula One's going to look like, it's great." And now at the end of it, I look at it, and I just think that that looks old to me. It looks, <laughs> is it is it just um, a case of that they just. Have they got more stuff coming, or is it that they've? um, That it's just that you know the recency bias of the fact that they were the first out. They now kind of looks a bit more dated. And have they uh, have they kind of gone with their design too early, or you know could they maybe put a few more weeks into into developments?
1: They'll certainly have some stuff coming for sure. I think everybody will to a degree. What happens when you design a car is you usually set a point around sort of November December time where you say. This is where we freeze our design. This is what we're going to build for the first test, and then everything we design after that that will go in the pipeline, the the tests and the first few races and that kind of thing. But it is a very interesting design. From top down, those side pods look absolutely huge with the the huge gills on top. But if you look at it kind of side on, you know, down the flanks, there's this big undercut, and it kind of works in the same way as uh, you know side pods of the past have done uh, in. Sort of channeling the airflow towards the rear of the car, which is what aerodynamics is trying to do. But they've also sort of matched that with this very, very high nose in comparison to the rest of the other cars as well. And that's sort of something that they've ploughed their own furrow on. I think no one else has sort of really gone for that. They've also sort of gone for like the little spoon-shaped front wings. And Aston Martin's gone in a different direction. Obviously, I think one of the other sort of. Pertinent parts of the team is the, the the changes at the top as well. Obviously, Ottmar Szafnauer's gone, and uh, Mike Crack has come in from the BMW Sports Car Project. I think they were trying to replicate the signing of Andreas Seidel and what he's done for McLaren mm. in rebirthing the team. They wanted somebody with a little bit of outside knowledge that can come in, and sort of whip the team into shape. This was a team that historically has again done a lot with a little, and now they've got this uh, money from from Lawrence Stroll and Aston Martin. It's like do they know what to do with it do they know how to spend it efficiently and that's something they need to come to terms with uh i i do like the car i think it looks really interesting Um, yeah whether it's quick i don't know and again it was it was another car that ran quite reliably and then uh sebastian vettel had a blowout on the final day and that kind of uh, put a spanner in the works a little bit for them
0: yeah. I, I think they'll be just fine. I, I don't think they're gonna be pushing top four, but I, I think they'll be uh I, I think they'll be okay. Uh, I think there's 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 too many good people there and they've put too much into this car for it to be an absolute dog. So I I, I think it's uh, I, th- I think yeah, I think it'll be fine. Uh, moving on to the the Williams, finished eighth in the championship last year. Most disappointing for me with this car was just the fact that they've removed the Senna logo off the nose cone, which was uh, which uh, was a bit disappointing for me. But I'll try not to dwell on it too much. But uh, but yeah, what what were your thoughts with the Williams? It's uh, it's quite a striking car, I think.
1: Yeah, it is. When I first saw it, there were two things that jumped out at me. First of all, paint scheme. It looks like a Neo from Formula E. Mm-hmm. and uh, secondly it was the nose which looks incredibly similar to the uh, fw13 from uh, 1989/1990 <laughs> it looks very it looks like a massive throwback which i like and then you look at the side pods and it's sort of gone in a very similar fashion to the mercedes sort of like a relatively open sort of front part and then just really tucks in behind that i really really hope that williams has, is able to continue on this upward trajectory now because last year when you consider that that car that they had was supposed to be what was obviously a development of the fw 43 2020 which was a development of the god-awful car from 2019 when you consider that they were getting points with it on a regular well, not a regular basis but they were getting points with it that's such a good turnaround and now that they've got all the what is seemingly the right people in charge hopefully you know they're on the the right step and alex albon as well coming in for george russell i think you know you lose george russell and it's it's a big loss but i think in terms of like for like replacements i think albon's probably the best that they'll get i think you know he's very very underrated i think his reputation took a little bit of a battering with with red bull but when you look at sergio Perez, for example and we know how good he is relative to max verstappen is he doing any better not a huge maybe like a tenth by a tenth a lap but not a massive turnaround so i think they've got a very very good driver yeah i mean i think this all stems back to when gasly effectively
0: blew his blew his chance and uh, i think he probably has to take some responsibility for how that that went down but uh, he they he was a built-in you know, perfect number 2 for max verstappen and it just didn't work out for whatever reason and rebel have never really Found a solution to that, and I still don't think that Perez is the the absolute solution, or he certainly hasn't proved it. But maybe with this this new car, he he may well do. Uh, I think for me, Williams's biggest problem is that they don't have George Russell anymore, and it really is a it's is an important season for Latifi because was Russell that good or? You know, is Latifi purely a pay driver? I guess we'll find out because Albon's no slouch, as you say. I think probably if they can maintain eighth place, then they've, they'll probably they'll probably be happy with that. But as long as they're in the fight and they're not adrift like they were. Last, last season moving on to the alfa romeo ninth ninth place last season very very secretive of their car you know the camo livery which was uh which looked great but we never saw the car so they were like being doubly careful to make sure no one saw what they were doing so uh <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> from what you can tell from the car from what you've seen of it what's your thoughts
1: been a difficult barcelona for alfa romeo they had a good period on the second day where Guan newcomer Joe was able to get quite a few laps in But laps have been at a premium. Every time, you know, Valtteri Bottas got in the car, things just kind of seemed to go wrong for him. You you know, I think maybe the best he got in the day was like 20 laps or something like that. Um, Classic Bottas. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a difficult time. I'm intrigued by the car. It's very, again, they've they've, they've really sort of gone with their own direction. One of the things they've done over the off-season is, reduce their technical partnership with Ferrari so that they can go their own way with regards to gearbox and suspension design at the rear. And then like uh Aston Martin, they've got these, you know, these big old side pods with a big old undercut. And then if you look at the sort of front end as well, it looks incredibly complex, the front wing. So I'm just intrigued to see when that car is turning in laps on a consistent basis, how good it's going to be with bossas what they do have is a driver who Is going to be a very good benchmark of where the car is, you know, in terms in pace terms. um, If a car is capable of sixth place, he'll, you know, he'll put it in sixth place. So that's someone dependable that Alpha has. And then for for Guan Yu Zhou, coming in now, Bottas is a fantastic benchmark for him. Obviously, he's got getting a little bit of flack for bringing all of his money from China and that sort of thing. But I think He's a very solid driver and he'll do a good job. He's not going to embarrass himself, which I think is the absolute key thing. So I'm looking forward to seeing this car run properly and see how good it is when it does. Otherwise, it might be a difficult year again and we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, I've, I've got high
0: hopes for, for Alfa Romeo. Regular listeners to uh, to Grid Talk will, will know of my absolute, um, just complete vanilliness towards the Alfa Romeo operation over the last few years. And I would always get Alfa Romeo to talk about in the race reviews and it was always just like, ugh. Where do I start? But uh, no, I'm quite excited about Alfa Romeo this year because two new drivers, new, new uh, just a whole kind of new, t- not a new team as such, but a, a whole kind of new uh, ethos and way to go racing. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out. And the car looks good as well. Uh, best looking Alfa Romeo since they've come back into the sport for me. But uh, just, just as long as they just have a purpose for me and, and, a, and a reason to go racing, then then I'm happy. But they just haven't had that for a few years. So And a team that's very lucky to, even still beyond the grid it seems at the moment with all the problems that they've had in in Haas I think the biggest thing for me this year for them politics aside is the the extra help they're getting from Ferrari and uh they've they've really got some good people in the right places there and given that they completely sacked off last year I think the signs are good for for Haas if they can keep the
1: thing going um what what, what's your thoughts? I think I agree with that to be honest with you um if you look at the car's sort of details it's very well developed at the moment obviously as you say they put all of their eggs into this basket and so they've had more time than everyone else with sort of a full development force working on it and so yeah little details around the front end that kind of thing really interesting to see them in comparison to other teams they've gone for sort of like similar side pods to ferrari and you can see that influence in the design Uh, as as you say they've got a a but marinello explicitly for Haas, which is being led by Simone Resto, who's a former uh, Alfa Romeo and Ferrari designer. So they've got, as you say, all the right people in place. It is just, again, a matter of reliability. Mazepin had a fuel pump uh, problem on one day. Mick Schumacher has an issue with the floor and some sensor issues on another day. It's just kind of, it's been this this perfect storm of of issues and then obviously on the final day it turns up in a completely plain white livery owing to uh, outside influences so it's been a very very difficult barcelona for Haas. it's unclear where they go forward from here uh, especially with regards to drivers is mazapin going to be in that car in bahrain we don't know uh, the talk the suggestion is that he won't but we don't know that for sure at the moment. So it's a team we'll have to keep our eye on for sure.
0: Yeah, at the time of recording this, we are recording this on on Wednesday the third of March. So this that, that may well we may well have a bit more clarity by the time this actually airs, which will be on the eve of uh, of testing for us next week. But uh, yeah, it's it may well be Oscar Piastri in that car. Who knows? We can only hope. But yeah, I do I do feel sorry for how things have kind of panned out. Also, just more for my predictions in that I said that Mazepin would be scoring regular points this year. So uh, just for for that alone, I'm disappointed. But uh, it's, it's never nice to see someone that have have a drive taken away from them for financial reasons and but equally he's let's be honest he's there for financial reasons. so you live by the sword, you die by the sword if uh, if he was there if he was there purely on hired basis, then we would obviously feel a bit more sorry for him people like um Danny cavevert or arena Sidakova who are not look looking like they might not be able to apply their trade purely because they where they were born just doesn't quite sit right with me but I completely understand why this is uh, this this is happening and uh, but if we move on to slightly more more happier thoughts and staying away from the uh from the the global atrocities that are happening. We look forward to the, to the season. It's it's looking like it's it's panning out to be another good season. Probably never going to match 2021, but you know, in my opinion that was the greatest season in Formula 1 history. And I will fight anyone who tries to tell me <laughs> otherwise. Uh despite the driver road uh, me backing for the win didn't get it, but uh hey ho, that's that's not, you know, it's, you can't win out you can't win them all, but uh Predictions-wise, uh, just a bit of fun, really. If we look at the um, top four drivers, top four constructors for, for the season, what's your opinion on, on where they're going where they're going to end up come the end of the season in Abu
1: Dhabi? The issue here is you've picked the world's biggest fence-sitter to, to come off his perch <laughs> and make a choice.
0: <laughs> um, and
1: I'm going to make you
0: give me <laughs> a, an ironclad top four for both okay. drivers and constructors.
1: Okay, um... Gosh, it's difficult, isn't it? Honestly, I've not really thought about it because I'm, I'm mm. so sort of lost to the world of our we don't know what they're doing. It's hard to, mm. hard to make a choice. Oh, I don't... Something inside me is sort of saying that Verstappen won't win it a second time around, which I'm saying now. It's going to come back to bite me. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, solid. I'm going to say George Russell for the title. Uh, wow. Wow, excellent.
0: <laughs> why not? <laughs> Edit it here first.
1: Uh, and then... Yeah, I think, yeah, if the Mercedes is good and Russell knocks it out the park first try, uh, yeah, why not? But honestly, on on a serious note, I think probably we're looking at Hamilton's eighth title. I I see Mercedes, you know, having a a much better car uh, when it comes to Bahrain. And, you know, it's reliable. uh, It should be quick. He's looked like he's just kind of kicked on. And I think the sort of the pain of losing the title last time round... That's going to fuel him a lot as well. Who knows how many years he's got left, maybe two or three at max. Yeah, I think Hamilton for an eighth title, probably Verstappen second, Russell third, and I'm going to say Carlos Sainz fourth. Excellent. Um, If the Ferrari is everything it promises to be, Mm. I think he might beat Leclerc. I well he he did last year, but I mean, certainly on performances, Leclerc looked like he
0: had the edge. For me, he's he's got the the overall peaks, but Science has got the consistency. I always call him Sunday Science because he just he just <laughs> he just does it on a Sunday. And if he can just again, he tends to make more issue more problems for himself in qualifying by making mistakes than Leclerc does. You know, Monaco aside, but then in the races he tends to just just get on with it. He I I thought he tended to be on the. The alternate strategy a lot for Ferrari, the one that was kind of like, well, we'll put Carlos on this and see what happens. And then he just always made it work, whereas Leclerc can't do that as well, I don't think. So uh, I I think... For me, Leclerc's going to have the edge over over Science this year because I think he's been taken by surprise by Science a little bit and, and thought he was just brought in as not so much to be a number two, but just thought he naturally would fall into that number two position due to his uh, due to his ability. But for me, um, I'm uh, I'm with you for your proper prediction in with <laughs> Hamilton. I would love for it to be George Russell, uh, but I, I I do think it. I think Hamilton over the course of a season has probably got a little bit too much for him. I I'm actually going bold with my top four and saying it's it's going to be Hamilton and then and then I'm going to say Leclerc, Verstappen, Norris I think I think it's it's going to be one of those seasons where you have the teams are going to have to make a decision and they're going to have to sacrifice one of the drivers and I think ultimately that's going to lead to benefits for Ferrari because they're going to have a very strong car but I think they're going to I think they're going to take longer to make that decision on who they're going to back because they're not used to being in in that position. And I think Hamilton will will take the will take the lead over Russell, and then obviously Verstappen naturally will just take the lead over over Perez. That's my top four. It's a bit bold. Four to four top um, four top four drivers from four different teams in the top four. But uh, I reckon as well, you know, go, going into certainly the penultimate race of the season, those four drivers will all be in with a t- shot of the title. That's what I'm going Ooh. with. That's bold. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I really, I
0: really hope so.
1: I really that would hope so. That'd be fantastic. Four teams in it. That for yeah. Formula One, I think after, especially after last year, it'd be absolutely great.
0: Yeah, even if it's not as exciting a season, certainly to have that because we've had it before. We, we've had four drivers going for the title in the last race. But do you remember what happened in was it Abu Dhabi twenty twelve? I.
1: I know Vettel won it, but I it don't remember what... It was 2010. When was it, it 2010? Was, Sorry, uh, yeah, 2010. Vettel. Yeah, And then Alonso was stuck behind Petrov forever. But yeah, that's no, right, no. yeah. And it was
0: just Webber and Button or Hamilton, maybe. I can't remember now. But yeah, it's, it's just, that's the thing. Four drivers in with a title shot on the last race of the season. You'd think we'd be talking about it for forever, but we just don't. Because no. it just nothing really happened in it, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that's that's kind of rectified this year, and we have an exciting title battle with more than more than two drivers. Obviously, nothing's really ever going to match last season, but uh, <laughs> hey ho. So going on to constructors, I think we uh, I think we all finally had that question answered last year of what's more important. The teams will always say the constructors as more important, but when it comes to the championship, the drivers' championship is clearly what they want. I think both Mercedes and Red Bull proved that completely um uh, without doubt last year. But uh constructors wise, what's your what's your thoughts on that? I can probably make a guess based on your driver, on your driver <laughs> choices. But uh go on then top four. No fence sitting top four constructors.
1: Uh yeah, I think it'll probably be same, the same as last year and I'll go Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren. But I kind of hope there might be a surprise fifth team. I'm not 100 percent sure. If anyone's got it in them to to be that fifth team, maybe mm. in terms of consistency, Alpha Towery. But in terms of the final day of testing, God, I'd love to say Williams. That would be so good. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. But yeah, I think it might be a stretch too far. Yeah, I think t- top four that's going to be difficult. It'd be nice,
0: like you know, the midfield, to just have the second field. You know, if you had if you had the top four and then everyone else just fighting out, that'd be that'd be fine. I mean, to be honest, I'd be fine with just like. Having it very similar to how we have it in IndyCar and uh, and again in Formula E, where you just have. You just you just don't know who's going to win each race. Not quite to the extremes that we saw last year in Formula E, but no. uh, certainly uh, certainly like the IndyCar Car model, without having a spec series, uh, the way that, that they go about racing, and that you know you, you know they say that it's a good result if you finish seventh. You, if if Lewis Hamilton finished seventh in Bahrain, it'd be a disaster. <laughs> you know, so if we can get to a position where seventh place in a race isn't a disaster for someone in the championship hunt, then that would be uh, that'll be a good place to sit. Um, I'm going to go bold again on this and say that Ferrari win the constructors' champion. Uh and then it would be Mercedes Mercedes second. Uh, and yeah, I think as much as I want it to be a good season, Ricardo, I think it's going to be Red Bull third, McLaren fourth. But uh, uh and that's mostly gonna be down to Ricardo and then extra prediction on top of that we then have pato award in there for the following season but that mm. that does that does get very uh, very convoluted and a lot of things have got to happen <laughs> before that happens it was certainly would be fun i don't i do not necessarily think it would happen but i think for formula one it would be an interesting <laughs> interesting thing so moving on then to uh one last point then so who's going to win bahrain <sighs> oh god Who's gonna be quick quickest or certainly quickest in bahrain I'll, I'll let you uh i'll let you off to say who's gonna who's gonna win <laughs> who's gonna be the quick
1: who's gonna be the team to beat in bahrain um i'm gonna sort of bring this back to 2019 where Charles leclerc was very very close to winning before everything kind of went wrong and he lost power and he still finished third so i'm mm. gonna say i might say leclerc uh, okay if the ferrari's good
0: yeah, I, th- I think I think Mercedes will be quickest, whether they win or not. It's um, who knows, but uh, yeah, I think I think they'll be the quickest. Have you got any other bold predictions? Any surprise winners or p- or podiums or anything like that? You want to throw in just for just for good measure?
1: Uh, I think we'll see a Williams on the podium again this year. This time on merit rather than. That'd, uh, that'd be nice. The race is cancelled after two laps because it's too wet. Gosh, I think has points. I think will. Uh, mm. I think on balance, we'll end up seeing Pietro Fittipaldi in the other car. Uh, yeah. which is probably uh, a less inspiring choice than Piastri, but um, yeah, he's there and it'll be a very sort of tra- uh, a weird transition, but yeah, I think Hass will probably be back on the, the point scorers again everyone will score points well, all teams, sorry, any bold pre- massively bold predictions Lance Stroll to win a race i can actually see that happening <laughs> i can see that happening
0: he's he's a he's a solid driver he's a solid driver now but he's had so he's a, well six years to learn his trade so he's uh put him in a winning car you know it's it's where it's where these these people that you know they come through the racing formulas they 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 try their you know they, they apply their trade learning how to win races everyone who's in formula one knows how to win a race Ocon winning in Hungary was probably one of the easiest races he had that season because the seas <laughs> parted and then he all he had to do was do what he can do best drive fast in a you know with without having to fight anyone and obviously just having to keep Vettel behind him so probably one of the easier races so certainly if he's got a car where he he can get into that position to win a race then I have no doubt he will close that out provided he's not put under undue pressure you know nothing like <laughs> <laughs> that when to come in for intermediates and or anything oh, like that or or you know having having a car chasing him down on uh, on much much uh younger ties for example if it's just a case of he ends up in the lead then i've no doubt that lansdrol could close out a race win but because he's definitely got got that much talent to be able to do that just going back slightly to the the question mark of the other hash drive you'd be a good person to yeah. ask this given your formulary e connections another name banded around is antonio Giovanazzi what are your thoughts on that? How airtight is
1: that is that deal? Because I know it's not started too well for him. There is one thing about Dragon, which is it keeps its drivers under lock and key, and I believe that its other driver Sergio said to camera tried to find a way out of the team because it's not been particularly strong. Uh, there's been mm-hmm. a huge turnover in sort of backroom staff, but you know he couldn't find a way out because you know J his soul basically. So I think for giovanazzi it again it depends on how tight that contract is and i can imagine it is probably quite tight um because dragon perhaps foresaw you know if he didn't like it after a couple of races then he'd be be on his way so it depends how much they can get for him it also depends how much influence ferrari has in this as well if they Mm. can if they have him on a leash that they can just sort of pull him away and and pop him in the house he'd be a strong option a solid option certainly you know he didn't impressed massively at Alfa Romeo but he did have good days and I think you know if you want someone that's a bit plug in and play then he'd be a very very good option but yeah it totally depends on whether Dragon would be willing to let him go and whether they'd be able to find a, a replacement in time um especially because the next race coming up is Rome would Antonio mm. want to miss his home round I don't know uh we'll have to see
0: I think given the start that he's made and then he offered a Formula One seat in a much more competitive house, I think he would rip your arm off personally. (laughs) uh, But but yeah, if we'll move on to uh, do a little bit of Formula E chat, if that's okay with you. Because obviously you say you're you're the -the on-the-ground reporter for Formula E this year. Uh, What what does that involve? Uh, And what's it like having to balance between two
1: complete (laughs) formulas like this? Uh, So generally that is going to all the races asking the drivers annoying questions <laughs> um, <laughs> reporting on all the races uh, being in the paddock and yeah sniffing out news essentially so that's sort of like the general bread and butter so you're like the, the Ted Kravitz of Formula E is that correct or yeah. that- <laughs> with 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 less sandals certainly um, <laughs> I don't wear shorts in the paddock either oh, okay. um, but yeah it's just trying to yeah produce all of the content for for autosport and motorsport.com features as well um, so basically sort of it's basically my wheelhouse really with balancing both of it it is tough i do a little bit less formula one stuff now just sort of focused on the technical bits and pieces obviously we've not really had a crossover in weekends yet but we'll see i think it'll be the australian grand prix where it will be where i ha- I get to miss out on getting up at one in the morning for fp1 which i'm very happy about <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's quite a lot of work but at the same time it gets me out of the house and uh mm it's it's good fun it's a completely different paddock formula e it's a lot more similar to formula 2 or formula 3 mm. um it's sort of less polished than formula 1 but at the same time access to drivers is so much easier you can honestly just sort of hang around the back of the garage and just grab somebody rather than having to set something up and wait several days in advance for mm. for an interview with you know Pierre Gasly or somebody you know it's it's a lot easier in terms of access for Formula E which I think is a good thing and yeah as you say you don't know who's going to win the races I think the new qualifying system has sort of changed that a little bit there's a bit more of an order mm. but at the same time I don't know if anybody expected Pascal Wehrlein to win the the race in Mexico but he you know absolutely Porsche knocked it out of the park and yeah it's it's going to be a really interesting title fight between you know them i think mercedes venturi and and maybe jaguar if they can get their their heads back in the game Hmm. i
0: I think as well i think it's a good thing with the formula e qualifying system as you mentioned because there's a certain amount of credibility that comes with being a bona fide world championship and formula e has always been very happy to try these gimmicks and these and just just try different things to to create exciting races but you know they, they've got to grow up at some point and be this this world championship series and and I, I think having a having that qualifying format I I've only been following Formula E for a couple of years I think three seasons it was uh first race I actually watched was Stoffel van Dorn's debut and uh so that's how long I've been following it and <laughs> um so from from day one I've I've despised that qualifying format and uh, <laughs> it just doesn't it for me it's, it's it's just not right it's not it's not racing for me so I'm glad it's I'm glad it's gone I'm glad they've put something in there although it's a bit convoluted and and uh, a bit difficult to understand at least it does kind of it's exciting and the the fast drivers fight it out for for the pole which i think is the right way to do it um I've, you can tell by my comments here that i'm not a fan of reverse grid races or anything like that so no. um that's uh it, it's it's you know it's fun in formula 2 but uh, I think it gives away too many points for me. Um, But uh, anyway, this is not about Formula 2, this is about Formula E. uh, (laughs) So you're... um, what would you say? obviously? I've touched on about the gimmicks and the excitement of everything of Formula E. What would you say then are the pros and cons of each series? Because we all, you know, everyone talks about Formula One. We all know it's not perfect, and Formula E perhaps unfairly does get a bit of a a bit of a bad rap. And I do think Formula E is a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for. So, what's your opinion on that? What's the pros and cons of each series?
1: I think the big pros in Formula E from from my personal perspective is kind of access, but also knowing that you're going to get a, a good race. And even if you come into it out completely out of context, you know that you're going to see overtakes, you're going to see a little bit of sort of that rubbings racing mentality. You kind of know that you're going to get that. I think the cons are when it's so geared towards a sort of energy management series that you would see these sort of lulls in the mid period of the race where people are energy saving towards something towards the end. And that can sometimes work in some drivers favors. And sometimes it it doesn't. Uh, We saw in Mexico, for example, that Porsche did quite a lot of heavy energy saving at the start of the race, which is kind of exciting because, you know, I guess they were, it wasn't exciting for them because they were being overtaken, but they knew they had something in, in hand for later and they pushed the race sort of, lap past what everyone else was expecting and then everyone was having these problems and falling back and it's kind of interesting to see that but i wouldn't say it's necessarily a good look whereas with formula one i think one of the cons is it's a little bit of a a closed shop but i think they're doing some really big things to change that obviously with netflix obviously with you know the the changes in access that fans are getting it's getting a lot better again maybe the racing is something that still needs working on but again we've not seen these new cars to see how they do but i think you know the big pro of formula one is it is formula one it's such a a massive massive global entity and it's got so much draw and it's got so much of a pull and it, it is obviously something that everybody looks forward to every you know every weekend i think one of the sort of issues now that is maybe well a personal issue for me is maybe the calendar's too big for example and the races sort of feel a little bit paint by numbers now but at the same time you can't help but get excited for it it's just got it's got this massive magnetic draw to it which i i really like but it's just i think they're just two very very different series at the end of the day if you know you you can i guess you can like them both
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one thing I do like about motorsport in this way. It's not like your, you know, your football and everything, where you you can only support one team, and and it's like even just looking at um, a graphic I saw about IndyCar a couple of days ago. Roman Grosjean being the most popular driver in IndyCar, and then fourth on the list was no favourite. That yeah. was for me the the, the biggest the, the biggest uh, thing there that people just they didn't have a favorite driver they just and, and I know I, I watch it and I, you know I I cheer for I cheer for Pato Award or I cheer for Alex Rossi or I you know or, or I'll cheer for Jack Harvey being British and so I, well, I don't have a favorite driver or I don't have a favorite team and and I think it can be a bit a bit more like that in Formula One but again with with Formula E you you can. You can like these different series and and enjoy them and and be excited by them without feeling like you know you're, you're cheating on your wife because you're because you're, <laughs> because you're cheering on uh you know you're cheering on Andretti in in uh, in Formula E or you're cheering on you know Dragon in uh, in Formula E but uh, yeah no it's um. It's it's not for me. Formula is not quite the finished article yet. Things like what happened in was it Valencia last year with the energy issues and th- that kind of thing was was quite embarrassing for the sport. But then they've got the on the flip side. You know, the Monaco Grand Prix was absolutely brilliant and and it's it's certainly it's certainly a work in progress and I'm just really looking forward to seeing what the gen 3 brings as well but uh, bringing bring it bring it back to uh, to formula 1 i just ask your opinion on one more thing before before we go this uh, the talk about andretti coming into formula 1 potentially uh, kind of um, certainly something to talk about and there's there's rumors about formula one just don't want them and (laughs) which just for me just seems very baffling but uh what's have you heard anything to the contrary on that what's your thoughts on it
1: uh i first of all i'd love to see andretti in formula one i think a lot of people would um i think a lot of people love the sort of feeling of having a new team on the grid Mm. um it's, it's always a really sort of fun moment it's one that in modern years we've not really had a lot of I don't know whether Formula 1 wants Andretti or not. It's completely up to the FIA to open up the tender process and I think it would have to be a sort of process like that. And I think it was the same for Haas as well back in 2015 which they were originally going to enter for. It's it's very confusing. Obviously the sale to uh, from Sauber went through didn't go through, sorry, because um uh, Salba's shareholders didn't want to give up a certain level of control, and Andretti wanted to buy 100 of the the team. They've said before, and I don't. Maybe this will change uh, depending on the finances of the team. But you know, they've said they've tried to buy Haas before, but Haas wasn't willing to sell. So I guess their only option is to try and set up as one team. Mercedes and Red Bull have said will accept them if they can prove that they're credible mclaren obviously zach brown has worked with michael andretti on numerous occasions uh mm-hmm. done so in uh, uh aussie supercars for example done so in indy 500 entries and things like that mm-hmm. that you know they know each other very well so Zach brown says you know of course they're credible uh they're a fantastic force across motorsport in formula e in in supercars extreme e uh indy uh, IndyCar, various other categories I think it would be great personally. It is completely up to the FIA whether they they take them on. It's a huge amount of capital involved. Uh, they would have to pay two hundred million, which is split among all of uh, two hundred million dollars, which would be split among all the teams, mm. and then it would be the costs to set up a team, and then working to a budget of what will be next year one hundred thirty five uh, million dollar cost cap. So there's a lot of money involved. Plus driver salary as well. Plus driver salary uh, as well. I think it would be great and I would love to see it. Um, But does F1 want another team? Mm -hmm. Uh, The jury is still out on that one, I think.
0: Yeah, I I think for me, 12 teams seems seems right. 11 is great. 10 always seems a little bit a little bit small um, but it's it's fine because it's Formula 1 as long as you've got 10 competitive teams I wouldn't want them to come in and be another HRT for for, four seconds a lap off the pace or whatever but I'm pretty sure they they wouldn't do that especially if they've got a a Renault Power deal set up or whatever they've got organised would be... um I think I think it would be good for Formula One. I really do. And it would certainly help with their presence in America, which is already, you know, it's growing by the day. But uh, certainly I think it would be a, a, a good thing for Formula One. I just want to say as well, thank you very much for coming on today. It was it was an absolute pleasure talking to you about the Formula One regulations. And uh, is there anywhere that people can go to catch up from more of the stuff that you do? I um, Obviously, there's the there's the autosport website, the autosport podcast. But where is it? Can
1: people follow you and, and learn more about you? about me personally uh i'll get on to that in a minute obviously we've got the autosport youtube channel as well uh as motorsport.com for all of our sort of uh, friends from other regional editions and that sort of thing my twitter work account i keep my uh Personal Twitter account a little bit hidden, but my <laughs> obviously if people want to follow me on Twitter, it is JBL Autosport, where I usually just post uh, F1 related memes and that kind of thing. And yeah, uh, obviously, yeah, follow us on Autosport. Uh, we've got loads of staff, got loads of great authors and and writers and that kind of thing. So we've got so much uh, going for us, which is which is really good. So yeah, give us a give us a follow.
0: Yeah, you can also give us a follow as well. Please consider supporting us on Patreon from as little as as one dollar, and so that can help us. Get better microphones and, and less cats in the background here as well. A cage for my cats would be nice. Uh, we are available on all major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Verbal, On the Studio, and Pocket Cast, as well as being available on the F1 Chronicle website too. All our shows for our reviews go out live and anything with uh, that requires reaction to, to events goes out live. And we also have our post-show live chat for any questions. If you want to join us on that, just search for F1 Chronicle on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell so you know when we're live. We will be back soon for more Formula One Grid Talk. Thank you very much for watching. Goodbye. <laughs>